you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. Welcome to Season 6 of Biblical Counseling Today. Where's all the time gone? It's like we've all been in a very bad dream or somehow written into a science fiction novel. But of course, this last six months plus has been very, very real. COVID-19 has impacted every person in our nation and on our planet in one way or another. Whether you have had the virus, cared for someone you loved with the virus, or have had to bury someone you love because of the virus, you have suffered much. You may have also suffered the loss of income, the loss of a job or a business during this strange year of 2020. We all certainly have suffered a certain amount of isolation, loneliness, anxiety, and depression, not to mention the inconvenience of mask wearing and social distancing practices. As Christians, we have also suffered disconnection as the body of Christ. As even I speak, many people across the world have not been able to gather in worship. For most of us, we have gone months and months without the true fellowship of believers. Then there's the suffering that has taken place in nursing homes among our elderly and with those who are medically challenged and disabled. This is the reality we've been living in and to some extent continue to live in. So what to do with season six? Well, when the pandemic hit, I was working on a series that I had tentatively called Bad Psychology versus Biblical Counseling. I'll return to that in the future. If you've been a regular listener of this podcast, you know we have discussed individual, marital, parenting, teenage, and more complex problems from a thoroughly biblical perspective. Hopefully, you've been encouraged and helped to approach problems, disorders, and sinful patterns according to the truth of biblical principles, relying on the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So this season, as we come to the close of 2020 together, I decided to do a series on the problem of suffering. It sort of fits, doesn't it? Sure, you may be sick and tired of thinking about suffering and just want to get back to normal activities, sports, shopping, restaurants, and concerts. I get that. Me too. But if you're up to it, this may be a good time to get a big picture, biblical view of the problem of suffering. It will not be COVID-19 focused, but will apply to all of our suffering in this life and what the Bible has to say about it. Now just seems like a good time to either learn a good biblical worldview of suffering or remind ourselves of what we believe as Christians. Hopefully it will not just depress you further, but give you a bigger view of God and his work in your life. Our first topic in this series on suffering is called The Reality of Suffering. Well, this shouldn't be a very long episode, right? After all, any halfway intelligent person knows that suffering is real. So let's talk about that reality a little bit, starting with this important introductory question. 
Why do we need a biblical understanding of suffering? Certainly, we need a biblical view of everything, but why a biblical understanding of suffering? Why is it so vital in our lives in all generations? Well, first, because we live in a fallen world. Even in other years, other than 2020, we live in a world of conflict, pain, disappointment, hardships, disease, sickness, disillusionments, meanness, crime, violence, divorce, abuse, wars, anxiety, revenge, hatred, rape, murder, injustice, poverty, hunger, dangers, and death. This is, and always has been, a world full of suffering. You know all those dystopian movies that are so popular today over the last decade or so? They paint such a horrible picture of the future. I wouldn't want to live in any of those movies. Yet in some ways, we have always lived in a dystopian world. Clearly, no generation has ever seen utopia, even in the best of times. Secondly, we need a biblical view of suffering because this world of suffering evokes questions from its inhabitants, including you and me. Well, what are some of those questions? Here's just a few. Why is there so much suffering in this world? If there is a God, why does he let innocent people, or oftentimes innocent babies, die? How long will things be this way? Will there ever be a change? How can you believe in a God who allows all the suffering in this world today? What's the point of life? We must not avoid these questions as Christians, but face them head on. We must be prepared to give biblical answers to these difficult questions, not just throwing out our own opinions, but the truth of Scripture. Our third reason for studying the problem of suffering is because of the current state of American Christianity. American Christianity, sadly, in its current climate, doesn't seem to have a solid theology of suffering. If you think about it, relatively little has been written on suffering compared to all the thousands of self-help books, books on self-esteem, identity, and significance, books on the power of positive thinking, and then all those health, wealth, and prosperity gospel books that teach Christians, basically, uh, should never suffer. Now, maybe more books on suffering will be written following this year of 2020 for sure, but will they be biblically sound? Unfortunately, when Christians turn to books or resources on the subject of suffering, they tend to be secular or psychological and not very biblical at all. For example, for decades, a man named Rabbi Kushner, in his book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, has been the number one book on suffering. Again, for decades. And this book is terrible. More on that later. Fourth, we need a biblical understanding of suffering because of the nature of the Christian life. The very nature of the Christian life demands a grasp of the significance of suffering. Think about these essential aspects of the Christian life. Christians are called to sacrifice. They're called to hardship and potentially death. The Bible tells us that following Christ means a fellowship in his sufferings. 
persecution, the suffering for being a Christian, is supposed to characterize the life of every Christian, not just a chosen few. While we would rather think of the Christian life as just one of peace and happiness, the reality is that it is a way of suffering in this life. A fifth reason we need to deal with the problem of suffering is because of our typical unbiblical responses to pain and suffering. Too often, as Christians, we do not respond rightly to our own pain and suffering. I know I don't. My own recent health problems have reminded me that too many of my responses to suffering do not glorify God at all. So what are some unbiblical responses that we typically make? Well, my favorite is avoiding suffering at all costs. Might be your favorite too. Or we can deny that it is happening at all. Or we can just become miserable, depressed, anxious, stressed out, mean and ugly to other people. Or we may just tough it out stoically, refusing to ask for any help at any time. And the list goes on. Finally, why do we need a biblical understanding of suffering? Because we need it to properly help others. When helping others, having compassion and empathy without a solid biblical theology of suffering leads to problems like, first, telling a suffering spouse to get out of a troubled marriage because God wouldn't want her to be miserable or in pain. Or maybe we end up telling people with diseases that it is God's will for them to be healed, so they just have to have more faith. And then at the extreme, we have people like Jack Kevorkian who help people alleviate their suffering by assisted suicide. An unbiblical understanding of suffering will create what I like to call misguided compassion. We will only want to help people not to suffer or to avoid suffering at all costs rather than using the opportunity to help them biblically and disciple them biblically through it. Next up on this first episode on the reality of suffering is the reality that there are a lot of wrong answers to the problem of suffering out there. You probably already know this, but Christianity is not the only religion that addresses the problem of suffering. And various theologies within Christianity have competing views on the subject as well. So I'll call this segment 10 Easy Answers to the Problem of suffering. Ten easy answers to the problem of suffering. Every wrong answer given to the problem of suffering falls into one of the following answer categories. Now, one of my favorite authors on the subject of suffering, Peter Kreeft, calls these easy answers because they provide nice, neat shortcuts around the mystery. And as he says, the biblical answer is not neat and easy, but challenging and messy. In case you're interested, Peter Kreeft was a longtime professor of philosophy at Boston College. He's a Roman Catholic uh, and an author of over 80 books. And I have to say, his work on the question of suffering is very, very interesting and compelling, and for the most part, spot on. You'll hear me quote him several times in this series. Okay, so let's get back to the 10 easy answers to the problem of suffering, many taken directly from Kreeft's work on suffering. Now, I'll need you to keep these in mind through the entire series of podcasts. We'll revisit them from time to time. Number one, the first easy answer to the problem of suffering is atheism. 
there is no God. And this makes sense, right? This is the simplest and cleanest answer to the problem of suffering and evil. After all, the reality of suffering seems to refute the reality of God, at least the kind of God most people want. So this easy answer to the reality of suffering says, if evil exists in the world, God cannot. Our second easy answer is demythologism. That's a fun word, isn't it? Demythologism is atheism for cowards and scholars, people who don't like the sound or reputation of the word atheist. This person says that he believes in God, but that the supernatural is really not literal, but mythical. The miracles were really not true, the ones in the Bible. The stories are just there to teach us something about ourselves. Thus, the demythologizer explains away a real God and turns him into a fairy tale, meant to teach us morality, but not he's not really real. So the answer for these folks, the easy answer to the problem of suffering is, Suffering exists because a true and almighty God does not exist. All right, then there's the third easy answer to the problem of suffering, psychologism. In this explanation, the real God is exchanged for a subjective God. The God outside of us is rejected for the God inside of us. Truth for me replaces real and actual truth. My God replaces the one true God. This view is illustrated when someone says to you, my God would never let the good suffer. My God would never let innocent babies die, etc. These folks create God in their own image. So this answer to the problem of suffering boils down to, suffering exists because our subjective God cannot truly save us. The fourth easy answer, polytheism. You know what this means. It's the belief in many gods, but many weak gods, instead of one true all-powerful God. This belief system easily reconciles the problem of evil since the gods are a mixture of good and evil, like those old Greek gods you read about in Greek myths. Bad gods bring suffering, while good gods try their best to relieve it. This easy answer ultimately says there are many different competing forces or gods in this world battling one another and creating the havoc in this world. So suffering exists. All right, we're up to the fifth of the easy answers to the problem of suffering, and that is scientism. Not science, but scientism. Scientism holds that whatever science cannot detect does not exist. It's the worship of science. Thus, the only God that scientism admits is nature, or they might speak of the laws of nature, but nothing supernatural. So God is reduced to the laws of nature. God put them in place, and they just work together to cause all the good and all the bad. By the way, this is the view of Rabbi Kushner, who sees God at the mercy of the laws of nature that he created. Just think about that for a second. Thus, this easy answer boils down to this. Suffering exists because the laws of nature crash into each other and cause suffering. The sixth easy answer is dualism. This is the belief in two gods, 
one good God and one evil God. In this conception, neither God has all the power. That's why goodness doesn't always triumph over evil. There are even Christian dualists in certain denominations and churches who see God and Satan as virtually co-equals, with Satan sending all the suffering and God having a hard time keeping up with it and defeating it. So even among Christians, this easy answer to the problem of suffering says, suffering exists as a nonstop battle because goodness is not all-powerful, at least not until Jesus returns. And then here's the seventh easy solution to the problem of suffering, and that is Satanism. Yes, this is the worship of Satan as God. The Satanist believes that evil is so powerful in this world because Satan is in charge, not God. The Satanist goes even further to teach that we ought to jump on this bandwagon where all the power is and all the fun is. Thus, the simple answer here is that suffering exists because Satan is in charge. Then there's the eighth so easy solution to the problem of suffering, which is pantheism. This, of course, is the view that God is everything and everything is God. Pantheism, actually, if you think about it, solves the problem of evil very neatly. Here's how it does it. Evil is just part of God, too. God is both good and evil, which accounts for the presence of good and evil in this world. God is a force, and the force has a dark side, too. Sound familiar, you Star Wars fans? So suffering in this understanding exists because evil and suffering are just part of God, and God is in all and all. All right, we're getting there. Number nine, the ninth easy answer to the problem of suffering is deism. God created the world, wound it up like an old-fashioned alarm clock, and left it to tick on its own. Human beings are, are left just to deal with it and try to run it the best way they can. The deist God does not turn his face to us in love or hate, goodness or evil. He's simply indifferent to human beings. So the answer of deism, the answer of suffering for the deist, is that it denies God's goodness and blame suffering and evil on him just leaving humans to their own devices. Under this understanding, you will hear it talked about as our free will, because everything is up to us. And then finally, the last view is idealism. It's the belief that evil and suffering is just an idea that doesn't really exist. Now, this might sound strange to you, but Christian science and Buddhism both deny the reality of evil and suffering. If you think about it, this one's just really a cop-out. Basically, idealism gives the easy answer to suffering by explaining it away as something we're just misperceiving. You're not really suffering like you think you are. So there you go, 10 easy answers to the problem of suffering. Stop and think if you have mistakenly at one time or the other, or even now, grabbed hold of one or some of these. Especially when you are in the midst of difficult suffering, you can be tempted to grab hold of one. It is easy for any of us to move away from the biblical truth about suffering and start believing lies. Again, these answers can seem easier and much more palatable than what God says in his word about suffering. 
Hopefully you want to know and remember the true answers to the reality of suffering and not just hold tightly to a wrong but easy answer. Even if you don't feel like you are suffering much presently, you either have or will be in the future. As I say in my book, Suffering in 3D, we all suffer either disease, disability, or disorder in our lifetimes, and often all three. So in this last segment of our first episode on the problem of suffering, I want to give you sort of a pretest. And the way we'll do this pretest is uh, going through a couple of case studies on suffering. Let's see how you do with the problem of suffering from what you already know. So pretend you are a biblical counselor and these people are coming in to see you in your office or your living room or uh, taking you out to lunch. Now, these two case studies are actually from Rabbi Kushner's book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Uh, again, remember this seminal work on the problem of suffering is still out there, still read by millions of people and has been over the years, and it's filled, unfortunately, with terrible theology and very few biblical answers. But I do find his case studies interesting, and hopefully they will make you think about what you would say to these two counselees. Here's the first one. Her name is Helen. The trouble started when Helen noticed herself getting tired after walking several blocks or even just standing in line. She chalked it up to getting older and having put on some weight. But one night, coming home from dinner with friends, Helen stumbled over the threshold of the front door, sent a lamp crashing to the floor, and fell to the floor herself. Her husband tried to joke about her getting drunk on two sips of wine, but Helen suspected that it was no joking matter. The following morning, she made an appointment to see a doctor. The diagnosis was multiple sclerosis. The doctor explained that it was a degenerative nerve disease and that it would gradually get worse, maybe quickly, maybe gradually over the years. At some point, Helen would find it harder to walk without support. Eventually, she would be confined to a wheelchair, lose bowel and bladder control, and become more and more an invalid until she died. The worst of Helen's fears had come true. She broke down and cried when she heard that. Why should this happen to me? I've tried to be a good person. I have a husband and young children who need me. I don't deserve this. Why should God make me suffer like this? Her husband took her hand and tried to console her. You can't talk like that. God must have his reasons for doing this. And it's not for us to question him. You have to believe that if he wants you to get better, you will get better. And if he doesn't, then there's some purpose to it. Helen tried to find peace and strength in those words. She wanted to be comforted by the knowledge that there was some purpose to her suffering beyond her capacity to understand. She wanted to believe that it made sense at some level. All her life she had been taught at religious school and in science class alike that the world made sense, that everything that happened happened for a reason. She wanted so desperately to go on believing that, to hold on to her belief that God was in charge of things, because if he wasn't, who was? It was hard to live with multiple sclerosis, but it was even harder to live with the idea that things happened to people for no reason, that God had lost touch with the world and nobody was in the driver's seat. Helen didn't want to question God or be angry at him, but her husband's words only made her feel more abandoned and more bewildered. What kind of higher purpose could possibly justify what she would have to face? How could this in any way be good? 
Much as she tried to not be angry at God, she felt angry, hurt, betrayed. She had been a good person, not perfect, perhaps, but honest, hardworking, helpful, as good as most people, and better than many who were walking around healthy. What reasons could God possibly have for doing this to her? And on top of it all, she felt guilty for being angry at God. She felt alone in her fear and her suffering. If God had sent her this affliction, if he for some reason wanted her to suffer, how could she ask him to cure her of it? You have all that? You might have to go back and listen to it again. But here's some questions for you to think about. What do you think about Helen's husband's response? Was he right? Biblical? Helpful? Also, what are some of Helen's wrong assumptions that need to be addressed? And then finally, what would you say to Helen? Where would you start? Remember, this is just a pretest. Hopefully, what you will learn throughout these episodes will help you to ace these questions. Then there's case study number two, a man named Ron. Ron was a young pharmacist who ran a drugstore with an older partner. When Ron brought, bought into the business, his older colleague told him that the store had recently been the target of a series of holdups by young drug addicts looking for drugs and cash. One day when Ron was almost ready to close up, a teenage junkie pulled a small caliber handgun on him and asked for drugs and money. Ron was willing to lose a day's receipts rather than try to be a hero. He went to open the cash register, his hands trembling as he did so. As he turned, he stumbled and reached for the counter to brace himself. The robber thought he was going for a gun and fired. The bullet went through Ron's abdomen and lodged in his spinal cord. Doctors removed it, but the damage had been done. Ron would never walk again. Friends tried to console Ron. Some held his hand and commiserated with him. Some told him of experimental drugs doctors were using on paraplegics and of miraculous spontaneous recoveries they had read about. Others tried to help him understand what had happened to him and to answer the question, why me? I have to believe, one friend said, that everything happens in life happens for a purpose. Somehow or other, everything that happens to us is meant for our good. He continued, look at it this way. You were always a pretty cocky guy, popular with the girls, flashy cars, confident you were going to make a lot of money. You never really took time to worry about the people who couldn't keep up with you. Maybe this is God's way of teaching you a lesson. Maybe uh, you will be more thoughtful and more sensitive to others. Maybe this is a good way of purging you of pride and arrogance and thinking about how you were going to be such a success. It's his way of making you a better and more sensitive person. So there's pretest number two. Just a couple of questions. What do you think about the friend's response and explanation to Ron? And then finally, what would you say to Ron? Where would you start? Again, I'm not going to give you any answers right now, but hopefully all these episodes will help you to be able to help others and friends like Helen and Ron. Now, I know that sounds like a manipulative way to get you to listen to more of this series on the problem of suffering. Maybe it is. But the truth is that we have a lot to talk about. Even if you think you have a good grasp of the biblical theology of suffering, it can be hard to hold on to it in difficult times. Maybe you have struggled mightily during this COVID-19 pandemic. Maybe you were having a difficult time with your suffering well before 2020 hit. Whatever your situation, 
I pray that you continue to listen and find what we discuss to be an encouragement to your life in this world and to your walk with Christ. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.